Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to see you this Monday morning. We are absolutely hammered over here in the West with rainfall. There's been so much rain in the past well, 48 hours in particular. In the West, is July is our wettest month and uh, we generally get about 179 mils of rain. We're almost there. So by the end of today, um, we should just about have a whole month's rainfall, which is hard to, to put into context when you think that we're only 12 days into the month. So it's strange. We missed last month's rainfall by quite a way, but the ground was well and truly saturated. The impact for home gardeners is that uh, any extra rain that we have could actually be well, quite detrimental um, because what we're seeing is the, the, the turf, the ground and our garden beds, it's quite saturated. So we might see some runoff of topsoil and we might also see a little bit of um, deterioration with fungal diseases, which is something that might come up later on today. Now, of course, it's not just about WA, it's about all of Australia and our weather conditions all over the country have been really interesting. That's why it's really important that if you're going to ask questions today, you tell me where you're from. I've got a pretty good idea how things are going in various places, and I'll be able to give you real current advice. Don't hesitate to ask your questions. Um, later on today, I'm really excited, actually, not too far down the line, I've got a really good friend of mine, Shirley Boffshow. She's joining us, and she's been a presenter on The Garden Guru. She's based in California in the US, and she inspires home gardeners and cooks on a numerous online platforms. She's the, the garden expert on the five-time Emmy-nominated US Hallmark show, Home and Family. What Shirley doesn't know about gardening isn't worth knowing. And their season is quite different to ours, obviously, at the moment. They're on the opposite side of the, the planet. So we're in a situation where her advice will be giving you some ideas on things you can do into the future. If you want to brighten your garden up, this Spring Garden Express have got a great offer coming up. And the good thing for all of us that are in lockdown is that we can place an order with them and it's delivered direct to our doorstep. Have you ever tried growing your own plants? Well, I've got an indoor plant. We thought we'd do it as the plant of the week this week. That is so easy to grow. I think anybody should give it a go. In fact, if Michaela can grow it, anybody can grow it because she's got green thumbs. I'm joking. She hasn't got green thumbs. She's got really green thumbs. Mercados, of course, are producer. We've got um, prizes to give away. In fact, uh, we'll also we'll have um, seeds. I'll show you this a bit later on. We'll ask you to give us your best question. And we also have a book, The Rose. So that's for the best question of the day. Remember, if you like what we're doing as we roll along, then 
hit the like button. It helps us a lot. Now, we'll get into a few questions and got a great one just come through. Uh, Helen from Coffs Harbour. She's got croton plants that look sick. And if you look at them, the pictures that she sent through indicate one of two things. One is that they've been sitting in either of quite a shaded position and then exposed to a lot of sunlight. That bleaching is a classic symptom of one of two things. Either it's it's a plant that hasn't had any direct sunlight and then it's been copying it. It looks like it's in the garden bed. So my suggestion is that it actually has something called red spider mite. Now, red spider mites are a really interesting pest. It's a microscopic pest that's underneath the leaf itself. Um, you To treat it, you actually have to spray up under the leaves. You can't spray on top. It has no effect unless you're using a systemic insecticide. And there's not too many of them that are really effective against red spider mite. So hopefully... Um, hopefully you can get in and spray underneath the leaves of that plant because my suspicion is that it is a little bit of uh, red spider mite causing that bleaching of the leaves. I hope that helps, Helen. Uh, Elizabeth is in Sydney. I'm just wondering if I should be pruning flowering gums after they flower. Not unless you want to shape the tree, Elizabeth. Um, gums will flower year in, year out quite naturally. Um, a lot of those dwarf flowering gums, the trees are quite beautiful, but they do need to be... Um, sort of kept relatively compact ideally because you don't want them to get too tall or you don't want them to get leggy because if they grow a big branch out in one direction and we get a strong storm, there is a risk that it'll get broken off. So keeping things contained in these extreme weather conditions that many of us are experiencing across the country is a good idea. John is in Melton in Victoria. When and how to prune back elephant ears? Well, that's an unusual thing you say because I'm not sure why you would prune your elephant ears back. Um, generally, the only thing you'd be doing is removing any dead or yellow leaves. I certainly wouldn't be cutting the plant back itself. It, if you cut the top off the elephant ears, you'll kill the main plant. Um, it'll probably sucker from the bottom, but I wouldn't be cutting it back. Lynn is in Kawaram up in WA. Um, that's just down near Margaret River. It's a really interesting part of the world. Now, she's got a tomato in a pot and it's got all these bubbles. Well, it looks like bubbles anyway, down around the base of the plant. And if you were to look at them really closely, Lynn, you would realise that they're actually the nodes, the beginning nodes of new roots. And um, because it's sitting in a pot, what I'm going to suggest sounds a little bit radical, but what I would do is I would fill the pot to the very top of the lid with fresh potting mix, effectively burying the majority of those bubbly stems that you're seeing there because all that will happen is those roots will now start to take off and grow. And that tomato plant, should you should see quite a bit of vigour as we move into the springtime. You should end up with a very, very early crop if all goes well. Um, make sure that you've got it in a nice sunny position as well. Uh, Jenny is in Epping in Victoria. Hi, Jenny. You bought Fuchsia Lena from Garden Express. Um, because you saw it on TV, and uh, that is a great fuchsia. They look gorgeous. Can I train the lena variety as a standard plant, not as a hanging plant? Absolutely is the question, uh, is the answer. The, the trick with it is to keep tying it up to a stem all the way and removing any side shoots, so you're just pushing it up in one direction. Once you've got it to a certain height, it will have a natural cascading effect. So standard fuchsias with these weeping varieties in particular uh, absolutely gorgeous. Guy, I'm not sure where you're from, Guy. Oh, yes, I am. It's it's in your question. What time of the year am I supposed to cut asparagus fern in Townsville, north of Queensland, to mound up to get the spears? About now is a good time to take the, the actual, what should be dead tops off them. Um, in actual fact, 
uh, they may actually be growing um, new foliage already because I know that uh, in the north of WA and uh, a similar sort of latitude, there's, uh, there's crops starting to come through. So you'd be very, very close to getting spears on the move now. I take the old foliage off. If there's any new foliage, leave that on. Um, and uh, the, the spears, you should be seeing them emerge about now. Namala is, uh, I'm not sure where you're from, Namala. The florets on my cauliflower head are splitting. What should I do? I think that what you're seeing there is that um, the cauliflower has not got enough nutrient in it, so the it's going into flower, which is quite a common thing. I would be harvesting those right now, taking those any of those heads that look like splitting or going into flower, take them off and cook them. That's, uh, that's the best thing I can recommend. Before you plant next time, dig a lot of cow manure into the soil in your garden area. Um, for cauliflower, it's such a good way to get the root mass um, well-developed before the plant gets to take off um, and produce uh, a crop and a head. Keith is in Moorbank in New South Wales. Hello, Keith. Years ago, I planted a guava tree in a freshly cut palm tree stump. I didn't worry about it. It grew and supplied us with two crops of fruit, but the fruit was laced with fruit fly. Can I recommend what you can do to treat them? Right, fruit flies are multiple uh, treatment strategies. So you want to have baits. Um, now, baits can be uh, a fruit fly killer mixed with something like um, Vegemite and painted on the side of the stem of the plant. And what will happen is the, the uh, I suppose the, the, the Vegemite will be the attractant and uh, the poison inside that will, will kill them off for a while. But yellow sticky traps hung from the same plant. Um, guavas, are, guavas and apricots, I think they're the two favourite fruit of, of all fruit fly. Those yellow sticky traps, they'll, they'll capture some. The bait on the thing will capture some. Um, there are some sprays starting to emerge in garden centres, and I would suggest you pop into your local garden centre. And the third element is that I would give the odd spray as well. The reason they're turning up in big numbers more than likely is not just because you've got a tree, but because your neighbours have also got a tree. So that should make a big difference. Uh, Christy is in Rutherford in New South Wales. Hello, Christy. I've, I've a lot of different varieties of chilies. Do they need to be in the sun and are they better in a pot or in the ground? Well, I would think in Rutherford that they'd be pretty dormant at the moment. Um, and I would be thinking that if they're in a pot at the moment, I would leave them as they are. And about September, I would look at planting them into the garden if you want some really nice big garden plants. Um, I've actually just done something very radical. I've actually gone the other way. So I had them growing in the garden and I've transplanted them into pots and moved them into a glass house. So I've got a glass house, nice warm environment, cut them back, taken all the old fruit off, and now they're just starting to establish in that new environment. Let's stay in New South Wales. We've got a few New South Wales uh, questions coming through. Um, Megan in Walcher in New South Wales. I live in a very cold climate. I have bucks of sempervirens planted and planted them about seven years ago, but they're not looking so well. They just get rainwater or water when I feel they need it. I feel like I'm losing them. Should I be feeding them something and should I repot them into new soil? Well, I'm not sure whether they're in pots or whether they're in garden beds from your note. But if they're in garden beds, um, it's highly likely they need to be fed. Uh, this is a plant that does, because you're constantly hedging them and, and shaping them, or you should be, um, they'll be stimulating new growth. And with that new growth, you need to give them nutrient. So um, feeding on a regular basis is a really good way. This time of the year, probably giving them a liquid feeder over the foliage 
is going to make a big difference to their general health. Um, when you're hedging, um, the easiest way is if you've got your, your still hedger out and you're just going through and just carefully cutting through the top, what you want to do is just not cut too hard into the old wood. So it's kind of like uh, just trying to get your shape but without necessarily getting into to, into old wood at this time of the year. Uh, about a, in a month or so, you'll start to see as the weather starts to warm, and probably probably actually two months really, um, you're going to see new growth emerge and that's the time when you really do want to make sure that you're applying a liquid fertiliser for a period of time to get them strong and healthy again. hope that helps. Pam is in Broken Hill uh, in New South Wales again. Should I cut back my, artif my artificial passion fruit plant? <laughs> has beautiful flowers on it. I don't think it's an artificial one. I think it's an ornamental one. Similar but not quite the same. The artificial one I would never cut back because it's never going to grow back. But the ornamental one, absolutely. Um, if it's finished flowering, I would give it a trim back. But, uh, yeah, leave that artificial one alone. Lisa is in Townsville. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Are there any plants suitable for shrubs that possums dislike? It's a really good question, actually. Um, I don't know any plants that possums dislike. They seem to like all of them. They certainly like some more than others. So anything that's producing lots of flowers, lots of fruit, um, or very succulent sort of foliage uh, would be um, not planting those. They will love those and they'll they'll go really hard at them. It's an interesting thing with um, with uh, possums. They, um, they do like anything that's going to deliver them food. Strappy leaf plants, so a lot of those grasses and things like that, they they can really be um, they can really be quite uh, challenging for a possum. So if you've got lots of those. I think the team here have just about recovered from their artificial plant uh, passion fruit uh, plant pruning. So that's they all had a little bit of a giggle here. Um, and uh, I hope that that's helped uh, help you guys. I'm going to do some work on uh, on sort of some of those plants that. Uh, I suppose discourage things like possums. The other one that we hear a lot of is rats. So they they're both going to chase anything that's going to deliver sort of food. So fruit plants and things that produce lots and lots of flower tend to be the major focus. And uh, in my garden at the moment, I'm not struggling with possums or with uh, with rats. I'm struggling with bandicoots and rabbits, believe it or not, which creates quite a challenge because um, they do eat a lot of your leafy greens. So I'm um, trying to keep that looking good. And uh, we're heading all the way to California. And uh, my my very good friend, Shirley Bovshow, is not that far away from us. She's um, she's probably uh, prepping her, her location just at the moment. Um, Shirley is a, a really fascinating lady. She has been a Garden Gurus fan. There she is. I can see her. She can't quite see me, but she's about to emerge. Um, Shirley, Shirley is um, an incredibly talented horticulturalist. She's five times Emmy nominated on the Hallmark um, show Home and Family in California, which has been running for nine years now. She's the garden expert there. She's got an incredible resource that, um, that people use. And one of the reasons we've done a lot of work with Shirley is because California has very similar conditions to many locations within Australia. So uh, that, that real Mediterranean dry sort of climate um, and getting a garden growing there. In fact, many of the plants that you grow there, exactly the same techniques and plants that we would grow here. Um, she regularly uploads how-to videos on uh, her uh, YouTube page, which is called Eden Maker. 
want to write this down, Eden Maker, and she's also got the same on her Facebook page. And you can teach, uh, she also does work on um, how to grow organic food, how to inspire home cooks. Uh, She's got a Facebook page called Your Foodie Gardener, which has been growing its audience massively. And she is such a wonderful, talented lady. So um, she's getting uh, getting herself ready to um, join us. Shirley, uh, do you think you could uh, maybe unmute your microphone and join us? Is it good morning or good evening? It's good morning. Well, it's good morning for us. What time is it there? It's around 7.15 in the evening. In the evening. Now tell yeah. me, summer, summer's a long and warm there? Oh, my goodness. It's been really hot in L.A. And usually we have dry heat. I'm not sure yeah. about Australia, if you guys are dry in certain areas. But it's been so humid. I, it's, it's new for me because, right. I, you know, we're in a desert here. And so yep. for us to, you know, feel the humidity, it's overbearing. But you know what? It's good to be alive. It's good to be <laughs> around plants. I'm not complaining. Not really. Sure. Surely the, um, the plants would love the humid, or some of the plants would love humid conditions. Others would be experiencing problems as a consequence of it. Tell me, tell me about the plants that are doing the best for you at the moment, this time of the year, because it is summertime. Oh, my. Okay, let me tell you about Australia's gift to the warmer climates here in the U.S. Yeah. Love the kangaroo paw, anigazanthus. Beautiful. Love yes. the formiums because they exhibit color regardless if they're in flower or not. Usually they're yeah. not even in, in flower. It's very odd for them to be in flower. But yep. I love all of our Aussies, the leucodendrons, proteas, looking mm-hmm. beautiful. And of course, some of the Mediterranean plants look great here. The salvias, yeah. the lavenders, they're all doing great. So you, you've got a hot, dry climate typically. Um, water challenges uh, in the US are, are getting world coverage at the moment. I think California's had a very long, hot, dry period. Right. Where's the rain? <laughs> We've mm. built all kinds of wonderful systems, which I which I really encourage. I mean, there are rain catchment systems so that you can harvest the water, but there's no rain coming. So we need yep. that. But the thing that a lot of people have done in preparation is there's a lot of droughtscaping and a lot of use of these drier plants that come from areas like yours. Um, yep, they yep. do great over here and they don't need a lot of water to look beautiful. Mm. You know, funny thing about Australia is it's almost the same size as the US. It's a little, just slightly a little bit smaller, but of right. course we've got we've got massive climatic change variants as you do from the east coast to the west coast and north right. to the south. So some places right. are dealing with with uh, very hot, dry conditions during the summer, and some are dealing with uh, with wet, very humid conditions. So we, there's never one rule that that fits everybody, but. When it comes to the drier parts of the country, and probably the majority of our population try to garden in dry environments, we're right. focused on using water efficiently, and that's that's Absolutely. all about you know small amounts of water delivered to the right spots, and things like mulch, uh, making sure that we're oh. mulching our soils and so on. How important is that for you? Oh, paramount! And I'll tell you something, Trevor. I love mulch, and so mm-hmm. what does that mean? To me, I believe that mulching is actually an art because Mm -hmm. what can you use for mulch? Organic materials, inorganic materials, inorganic like pebbles. There's every shade, 
every size, every texture. There's round, there's polished, there's jagged, there's all types of looks. And then let's look at our organic, as far as maybe some of the things that come from trees, you know, the tree barks. They come mm -hmm. small, tiny, shredded, they come, you know, actually like a gorilla hair that kind of mats together. Yeah. There are so many ways that you can not only help your garden that is suffering from lack of water by covering it with a nice layer of mulch, but also you can beautify the garden. And a lot of the times I like to coordinate the type of mulch. If it's inorganic, I'll use some beautiful jade stones with as a contrast to maybe a burgundy formium. You can imagine how beautiful that looks. And yeah. a lot of times people will pass by and say, what do you got on your on the ground there? It looks beautiful. I'm like, you like my mulch? <laughs> so mulch is awesome. Now, Shirley, you, you've, been, um, you've been a great friend to me over the years and you've done some wonderful stuff for us on The Garden Gurus. But on a regular basis, you support people by providing them with lots of information right across the US. So you've got your Eden Maker YouTube channel and you've got yes. your Facebook pages. Tell us a little bit about those so that people, if they want to tune in, they can, they can um, follow you and what you're doing. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes, I want to invite everyone who's watching to, to pay a little visit to the YouTube channel, Eden Maker, the same name, uh, Facebook page. And really the emphasis there is to connect with beginner gardeners as well as experience. I like to say that whatever lesson I give, uh, whether it's in a video or in a, in a, a uh, post that's kind of long, is to relay a nugget of information that will cause the experienced gardener to say, I didn't know that. So I'm constantly digging for things like that, but also the basics. So for those that are new to gardening, that want to know about the plant, how it grows, whether it be an outdoor plant, an indoor plant, um, just to understand the plant a little bit more. And that's kind of like my, my claim to fame is that I like to introduce people to the different parts of the plant and mm -hmm. teach them why it flowers a certain way, why it, so that way you can troubleshoot a little bit when you have a little background on the plant. But the other thing is, I have a lot of uh, followers that speak English and Spanish. So okay. we, yeah, so we have a 100% reply rate, every single comment. Now I don't wanna make anybody look bad because everybody <laughs> can't do that. If you're busy, you're busy, mister. Uh, but <laughs> we've got, you know, I, I've got my, my team and, and our commitment to our followers is that every single comment is replied to in English or Spanish. If we get to it, we'll get around to it. If we don't do it automatically, you know, like this, you can't do it, but that's what we wanna do. There's, um, that's a great, a really, really good thing. Now, we, when it comes to people being able to tune in, we've put some overlay up of, of some of the work that you do and we're mm. sharing that with our viewers right now. But obviously COVID has impacted the whole world significantly. How did it impact um, California and, and North America in general? Well, I believe that what well, we all had to kind of quarantine become very kind of like looking inwards or looking at the four walls around us. And I think that what happened is that people were then thirsting for something they didn't know that they were thirsty for all along. Yeah. And that, Trevor, I think you will agree, as pros in the industry, we are seeing this happen, a phenomenon 
that people who once never paid attention to a rose or rosemary, they have started to garden. And I think that that's one of the ways that they were able to connect because they couldn't connect to people, yep. each other. They started connecting yep. with plants and nature. And so it's amazing how many new plant parents there are and how many people are growing food. What, sure, what's going on say, over what, there? What are the two biggest trends? They're, over here, it's definitely food and it's definitely indoor plants. Is it similar in the U.S.? Same thing. It might be even universal. Um, and, and it makes sense, you know, indoors, our indoor sanctuary, if we didn't have one before, we have one now after COVID because so, supposedly the um, home improvement industry also benefited because people wanted to paint the room. They wanted to mm. change the floors. They wanted to do things because now all of a sudden we were not just sleeping at home and our life was out there. It was all here. And yeah. so... There's a, there was a, a new renewed uh, interest in growing food, huge. And um, a lot of people are putting out, teachers like you and I, putting out videos and programs about how to grow food, whether it be in a container or if you live in a very small uh, type of a, a, of a house that has no yard, how to grow food in a balcony. And one of my favorites, though, is how to connect with the greater world out there who likes to grow food and participate in the community garden. And that's something yeah. that I've been trying to encourage people who don't have a yard. Uh, how about in, in Australia? Do you also have many community gardens that yeah. are affordable? So, so the community garden thing is a massive trend and it, you're, you're absolutely right. Where you don't have, if you're living in an apartment or you don't have a garden, uh, you're in a position where you can not just go and participate in a community garden as in growing your own food, but obviously learn from other people. And that sense of community is one of the great things about community gardens. It's bringing people together with common right. goals and aspirations and, and supporting each other as you go on the journey. Because we all know that, you know, as we go with plants, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong, but right. you learn and you get better at what you're doing. And when it comes to community gardens, of course, it's all about making sure at the very end of the process, you end up with a, a wonderful crop. And nine times out of 10, the community gardens here involve people sharing. So they, they sometimes right. they have harvest festivals, they'll get the barbecue, they'll all cook some stuff up and they share it. And this is a good thing for the soul, I think. Absolutely. And actually going to the community garden during this time of, of everyone being quarantined was such an escape. It was mm. such freedom because, you know, you're usually very well spaced from your neighbor. Mm. And so it's a place you can put, drop your mask for a few minutes and shout, yeah. hey, what are you growing? And yeah. I, I personally enjoyed just the interaction. But one of the things that I wanted to share with your um, with your fans that yeah. might be a, a little tip for them is because gardening has become so popular, people are starting, at least here, they're starting to look into community gardens. And sometimes they'll find that there are no more plots available. But here's something you could do. As a newbie, you can approach, I mean, people have approached me and asked, you know, in exchange for coming to help you water, would you mind helping me and, and teaching me a few things about growing food? And That's right. it's like, yes, are you kidding me? Who is going to say no to come help me water, <laughs> especially yeah. in the summer? So yeah. that's been a nice way to integrate people who maybe don't have, uh, you know, a plot assigned to them yet. 
yep. is to get involved with the community that's already there. And of course, we're growing food that we uh, then distribute to the community, those who are yeah. in need, who want organic veggies yeah. and fruits and stuff like that, and they're not able to get it. So it's a great touch point for the world, I think, right now, gardening and then getting together with other gardeners and growing your own food. Now, the other one is obviously house plants. I see you've got some what look like Phalaenopsis orchids in front of you. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about them. Well, this is an amazing trend again. People are now starting to call themselves plant parents. Do they mm -hmm. call them plant parents over there? No, well? no, no, no. It's the first I've heard it. Oh, my. Okay. Well, you're going to have to get a T-shirt. This is plant parent. Uh, the <laughs> thing is people want to surround themselves with life and things that they believe will clear and clean the air and truly plants do help to do that. And so yep. to bring uh, some color indoors, Phalaenopsis, not, this is not a fowl, but the Phalaenopsis, here we see this beautiful flower, yep. has become really popular and you can usually find these and even in the supermarkets, and they're extremely popular plants, and especially newbies, I wanna encourage them that once this flower fades, don't throw away your Phalaenopsis because conceivably, if you take good care of it, it can be around for 50 years. And yeah. most people don't think of it that way. They think of it as something to throw away. This is the second time this has bloomed, by the way. So yeah, okay. it's in the... What, what's the trick with the blooming? So a lot of people buy them. They'll, they'll keep them for as long as the flower sits there. And then once the flowers have dropped off the stem, sometimes right. they throw them out. Sometimes they'll stick it out and in the garden or in a corner somewhere and they kind of forget right. about it. But but Phalaenopsis will flower year in, year out. But there absolutely. are a few tricks, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. And, and usually they will, well taken care of and depending on variety, they can bloom twice a year and for mm -hmm. extended amount of time. First thing I'm going to do, though, because this just started to bloom, is I'm going to go ahead and stake it. And I just want you to know that you can take any type of stake that you have and make sure that you put it in towards the rim so you don't jag it into any of those precious roots. So I'm going to go ahead and do this just so you can enjoy it. But here's the, oh, no, look what I did. <laughs> All right. And right here, okay, everybody's like turning off. Like, who is that? Sure, you just killed them. up. Okay. Let's put, put it into a bar. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to do. Straight into a vase. Okay, so let's pretend. No, we don't have to pretend anymore. Let's pretend yep. that your flower, your phalaenopsis has stopped flowering. Okay? Yep. So all the blooms have fallen. So yep. what you do is you go to the node, which are the bumps along your stem. Yep. And let's say, well, actually, I have one that's dead here. Look at this. This is not really a dead plant, yep. but the flowers, this way, the, yeah, they're finished. So what yep. you do is you have a choice. This is brown. So I'm going to go ahead and cut it from the base. These two yep. are brown, but let's say a lot of times you'll find that the stem is green, but just the area that flowered has yep. become brown. So what you do is you find a node and you cut above it at an angle, but we're not doing that. We're going to go all the way to the bottom. And then Trevor, what's really, really important is this. Once your Phalaenopsis has stopped blooming, it's really yep. a time of growth. That means that 
your family office is now going to say, okay, I'm done flowering. It's time to grow new leaves. It's yep. time to expand our root system. So it's a vegetative time. Very important. Key to reblooming is that you put it in a room where the temperature will change from day to night. So say, I, I, I don't know Celsius, but let's just say whatever the temperature is in the daytime, it's yep. 15 degrees less at night. That mm -hmm. change of, of, of temperature will trigger your phalaenopsis to want to bloom again, but there's other things to do. Make sure that it's in an area that has nice humidity. Make yep. sure that you water it at least once a week. And when I say water, I mean water till the water comes out and then leave it, put it in a bright spot and make sure it has great air circulation. And so you might think, well, when it's in flower like this, is it time mm -hmm. to fertilize it? Not really. The time to fertilize your orchid is when it stops blooming. And yep. then soon as you start to see some beautiful buds, you will find that at your garden center, maybe you could recommend one that is available there, you'll find that there's an orchid formula that's for the bud and bloom time. But realistically, when it's in flower, you're not feeding it. Maybe right prior to it, and when it's in the vegetative state like this, that's when you do it, but it's temperature change, humidity, air circulation, and the right light, and a little Shirley, fertilizer. Can, can we share, we've got some questions coming through. Can we share some questions for you? We've sure. got to Margaret. Margaret is, uh, is, is dialed into us from um, Belgrave in Melbourne. Now, Melbourne's a cooler Ooh. climate, particularly okay. this time of the year, but she's got a terrarium, and she said, I seem to kill it with kindness. What do I need uh, to do for my plants to survive? Well, terrariums are very specific environments. So yep. make sure first that you have an appropriate plant, a plant that thrives in humidity. Because remember, it's plant is not going to be able to move and escape if it's getting too much ambient humidity. So maybe if you do pileas or a uh, fern, a little fern, that's the first thing. Second thing is make sure that you don't drench and oversaturate your plant. Because again, if it does, if it's a terrarium, it usually doesn't have a hole. That makes it a terrarium. But make sure that you have prepared your terrarium correctly with maybe a base of fine gravel, mm -hmm. maybe a little charcoal, activated charcoal, which is horticulture. It's not the same thing as the briquettes that you barbecue with, but no, you can find no. it at the garden center, right? And then you put that, and then you put your nice uh, potting soil. And so if you have the right proper drainage, you're not overwatering it, you have the proper plant, guess what? You're gonna be more successful with your terrarium. And um, that shouldn't be a key, problem at all. The, the key is water though, isn't it? It's, it's, you, can't, you can't have too much, but you can't have too little. Right, as a matter of fact, the shape of the terrarium will inform you as to how much water it needs because if you have these terrariums that are round a lot of the times when the water cycle when you have evaporation it has a natural movement that's kind of concave and circular and so it kind of clings to the walls of your terrarium if you have the stray edge that's a little bit different if it's open it's going to transpire it's going to evaporate a lot faster so it really means for you to watch your plant and you will know when it needs some water. The best thing, though, is this. 
when you have a terrarium, it's inviting you to be up close and personal with that plant. I mean, why did yep. you make it, right? So yep. you will become very well uh, you know, informed about what your plant's needs are. But first start with those basics. Okay. Now, Jenny's also from Victoria. So um, she's from a suburb called Epping. She's got a magnolia little gem and it comes out with oh. flowers, but they don't fully open up. What could the problem be? Um, it is planted where it gets morning sun, but it doesn't get afternoon sun. But I don't think that's what the issue is. I, no. I suspect I might be able to help with this one because sure, we, we, we tend to have problems with we, when we get dry conditions, we get a lot of mites and we get a lot oh. of thrips. And thrips in particular love getting to the flowers of, of uh, Magnolia Little Gem. And what they'll right. do is they'll make it, make it basically, the bud will just start to open and it'll all be brown, you know, like it's kind of almost right. like it oxidises, like an apple fruit will oxidise. Right. Right. And it's got to do with the damage being done by these these thrips, um, which you can't really see because they're so small. Yeah, who's um, going to climb and, up a tree? Exactly right. So the, the real solution is to try and get yourself a systemic um, insecticide and you can get these little tablets that you can pop in the ground around the roots and it goes up through the sap and when those thrips do the, the, the damage that they do, it'll actually kill them off and it means that you'll just get better results and the flowers will open up, Jenny. It's, I think, I'm not sure whether that's a completely unique experience to Australia, but we do often battle with our flowers being damaged by particularly thrips. Wow. Well, that, that's a really, really good insight. And in general, though, I think a lot of us, we take really good care of our ornamental shrubs, our smaller perennials, our annuals, we feed them, we take really good care of them. But a lot of the times the trees are ignored. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. But yep. realistically, the more hardy of a variety that you have, a little gem is, is pretty good. If it's well acclimated to your area and it's appropriate, then yep. it's gonna have a fighting chance. But it's interesting how nature works. These pests, they are really intuitive. They know a sucker when they see it. And when yep. they see a tree that isn't planted in the right you know, uh, exposure or hasn't has, doesn't, is, is not in nutritious soil, hasn't been fed, hasn't been watered correctly, maybe is suffering from drought, pests will always be attracted to the weakest plant in the garden. Mm. And so those are some of the cultural needs of the plant besides what uh, uh, Trevor just uh, suggested is to look into the fact that there might be some some pests and I think that that that's there's a lot to that absolutely so, so much Shirley we've run out of time thank you so much for joining us today if, if people want to follow you um, all they have to do is literally tune into your Facebook page or your YouTube pages which yes. we'll make sure we put up some notes and if anybody's got any questions they can contact us direct and we'll link you to it thank awesome. you so much for joining us Shirley Bobshaw it's lovely to see you and you're looking so well and it's thank great you. to see great to see your gardens looking great and thanks so much for your tips today thank you and thank you for sharing your audience with me Trevor have a wonderful summer what one winter have a wonderful winter or fall what are you it's winter well okay. and truly oh, got it <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. Season. Take care. Bye. That's wonderful. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. What a wonderful lady. She is just a beautiful person. 
Now, if you like what we've been doing today, make sure you hit the like button and um, make sure you send us your questions through. And you can do it through multiple venues. You can do it through, um, obviously, uh, Facebook, which is the simplest way to do it. But you can also message us on YouTube. And we've got one from Zifa, I should say, um, in Sydney. And her question is, she's planted a hedge at the front of her house. It's very dull looking and all the leaves look bitten. Now, you've added fertiliser, but not much improvement. I, I would imagine that this is probably the time of the year when plants are not growing an awful lot. So you're not going to see a lot of improvement. And if you overfeed, you might end up causing another problem. And that is that you actually sort of create a bit of a toxicity in the soil through too, too many um, too many salts, too many uh, fertilisers sitting in there. And then that means that the plant will burn. So the trick at the moment is probably only liquid fertiliser over the foliage and probably every two weeks or so between now and October. But that will that'll bring your plant on and as the weather warms you'll see really solid strong growth it should help the plant build up i hope that helps um you also asked about um can you can a small flowering plant grow in transparent pots or is it better to paint or cover them it's a bit unusual to have transparent pots um but the answer is as a general comment as long as it's not sitting in direct sunlight and that the, the the light being magnified under the roots there's no reason why the plant won't grow in a transparent pot Hope that helps. Um, Eileen, I'm not sure where you're from, Eileen, but could I please name the systemic tablets for thrips? Well, there are a few different um, types of active ingredient chemicals out there. Um, the one that uh, that's probably been around for a long period of time is Confidor, and it's not commonly available these days. There's a big concern about its impact when used broadly in the environment on beneficial insects, particularly bees. But uh, in that tablet form, you can direct treat individual plants and that reduces the impact on some of these other insects. It's it's a catch-22. Uh, as Shirley pointed out, often um, pest attacks are caused by um, insects that are thriving in an environment that the plant is not thriving in. In other words, the plant is not happy and therefore it's more susceptible. It's a bit like us sometimes. We're a bit run down. We're more susceptible to getting um, sort of um, diseases and so on. So it's all about keeping your plants healthy. And then when it comes to controlling certain types of insects, then and particularly thrips, then maybe some very targeted treatments. The best advice you're going to get in your local area, Eileen, is from your local garden centre. Go and talk to the horty there. They'll tell you exactly what works best in your area. You've mentioned problems with roses and carnations. Roses, you, you don't need to treat them at all at the moment. You, you should be cutting them back now. Carnations, you might be able to get away. Um, it would be unlikely that it's thrips on carnations but you might be able to get away with using a, a much softer chemical, so pyrethrum base or something like that. Pommy is in Melbourne. Hello, Pommy. I've got two questions. My hedge, which is normally evergreen, slowly turning brown one by one, and you've sent us some pictures, and you can see there um, that's, that's showing signs of complete deterioration, which usually that's normally a, some kind of sore-based fungus that's causing either a collar rot or a root rot. And you said they're turning one by one. It looks like it's dying down the length of the garden bed, which would suggest that it's slowly moving through the soil. Um, there is a there's a, a product called anti-rot. Um, it tends to treat those collar rots and those soil-based rots. I would probably take a look at using that. I would definitely have a chat to your local garden centre when you're in there picking it up because it does look 
quite concerning and root rots are not the sort of thing that you want to have. In fact, you also sent some photos of some standard roses that only grow at one side or where they were grafted. Now, this could be a graft issue um, looking at the plant. Um, it doesn't look 100% happy, but uh, the fact that it's grown out one side just suggests that, that the bud has come off that side and the plant is not strong enough and it's not growing in, in a round um in a round well. Now, interestingly enough, you said these are 15 years old. They don't look anything like they're 15 years old. So that would suggest that there's a really significant problem with them. And I know it sounds like a sounds like a big deal, but my recommendation is you would rip those plants out. And if you want to have standards in there, I would just change a bit of the soil in around the base, maybe put a bag of potting mix in, plant into that bag of potting mix, some fresh standard roses and you can buy them bare rooted at the moment and save a fortune so if you were going to do it you'll buy them they'll come in they'll just be basically sticks in bags that's uh, a way a good friend of mine used to describe these but it is the perfect way to do it remember folks please hit your like button if you like what we're doing it really does help us with our audience and obviously you're sharing it with your friends too this podcast is brought to you by still and evergreen garden care Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Linda is in Mascot in New South Wales. We've got a puppy. She's very good with doing her business on the lawn, but that's leaving spots. It's killing the lawn off in patches um, and whilst it's still green in other areas where the ones and twos have been left, the lawn is dead. Is there something that could revitalise the lawn at this moment in time? You've had some advice, boost it with seaweed, it reduces stress from heat, drought, frost and foot traffic. This is probably just cold. So most lawn varieties grow when it's warm, uh, probably the exception being Kaikuyu, which wouldn't really go off under those sorts of conditions. It's a very tough lawn. Um my suggestion at this moment in time is that um, you try and limit the dog's access to one section of the lawn and um, and then when you get into some warmer weather, probably a little bit of seaweed extract, so sea salt is a good way to go, over the top will help stimulate a little bit of growth. Um, it's a difficult one and it's one that we're all experiencing. Anybody who's got pets will know exactly what we're talking about just at the moment. Now, remember, don't forget, you can send in your questions. Now's the time to do it, and I'll answer. But you have to tell me what state you're in, what town or what suburb, if you're in one of the major cities, and that will help me a lot in giving you the right advice. Garden Express are Australia's largest online and mail-order garden supplier, and they lead the way in helping their customers create beautiful gardens. Every week, we are lucky enough to have them support this program and they'll give you special offers as a consequence and pretty much every single week, those offers sell out. Um, this week, they've got a beautiful flowering bulb that you'll definitely want to feature in your garden this spring. Each week, Garden Express join the Garden Gurus Live to share exclusive offers just for you. And this week, they have a huge variety of gladiolis ready to brighten up your garden this spring. They are tall, brightly coloured favourites and are a must in every garden. They brighten up the dullest of corners and provide a beautiful show when in a vase in the home. 
Garden Express have five winter collections available, each offering 20 bulbs of four varieties. Usually priced at $35.60, right now save 20% and pay $28.40. From pinks to purples, yellows, whites and many more colours available, make sure you head to gardenexpress.com.au after today's show. Thanks very much for uh, joining us again. That's obviously a fantastic deal, something you want to make sure you take advantage of. Now, speaking of taking advantage, now's the time to ask your questions because we've got packet seeds to give away, five of them to the next five questions. So get your questions in really quick. Ideally, I'd love you to share what you've grown at home, what you've propagated to have a great result. This plant here, you will undoubtedly know. It is... The devil's ivy. It's been known commonly as skindapsis or pothos. It's actually had a few names over the years, but most people just know it as devil's ivy. It's an incredibly hardy indoor plant, almost indestructible. These have been literally dropped in their little pots in our office area around here. Everybody's kind of got one on their desk and the results are amazing. But I mentioned McCain and I was giving her a bit of a hard time earlier on, our producer, She's actually a real little green thumb. She is growing all her own plants. This is a good example of something you can do. So she brought this in to share with you. It's literally a piece broken off the plant and she's just popped it into a glass of water. And if you have a look close up, you'll see the roots all growing out of the nodes there at the bottom. Now, this plant could be taken out and put into soil now, or you could actually just leave it in the glass jar and let it just grow and cascade out. It will require a little bit of fertilizer occasionally just to sustain the growth, but it shows how hardy these plants are. And if you didn't know, this is one of the top 10 indoor plants that you can grow at home that takes uh, what we call volatile organic compounds, VOCs, out of the atmosphere we breathe. Most of the products we have in our houses, so fabric from clothes, um, treatments on tabletops, curtains, all of them slowly break down. And as they do, they release these, these little um, gases in the atmosphere, these organic, volatile organic compounds. Now, some of them are really bad for us to breathe in. We should not be doing it. In fact, a lot of research suggests that the air quality inside our houses is a lot worse than the air quality outside our houses. So it's one of the reasons why we should be getting out into the garden as much as we can. But it's also a good reason to bring the garden indoors and the skindapsis, the pothos or devil's ivy, absolutely brilliant to grow. And if you've got a friend who's got some big long runners hanging off a hanging basket or maybe growing on a totem pole, then grab a couple of little pieces and stick them in, in a glass. They will just drop roots. They are that easy to grow. Now, remember, this is your big chance to win one of five packet seeds. And all you have to do is tell us what you've propagated. Maybe just share one of your questions. Um I think we might fly into them because we've got them coming in at us really quickly. Um, okay, Catherine is in success in WA. Hello, Catherine. I was given a cutting of a pomegranate last October. You planted it in a pot where it had a suitable amount of growth. So it took off. In autumn, you planted it in the garden and it's had lots of fruit, which dropped off, which is normal, I assume. Uh, the leaves are beginning to yellow. Should I fertilise it and with what? No, you shouldn't fertilise it. It's meant to be going dormant. It's meant to be having a rest, Catherine. So um, it's quite natural. And when the fruit drops off, basically you should be able to take that, break it open and, and pull the little um, juicy seeds out and add them to dishes. It's incredibly good for you. One of the highest sources of antioxidants you can get from any plant. 
So pomegranate, and it's it's a very trendy plant to grow now. So let it rest. It'll rest basically to the end of, well, probably mid-October, end of October, and then you'll see new growth come out. It'll produce flowers in sort of late October, early November. By December, you'll start to see fruit emerging, and you should be picking fruit ideally around about April, May each year. Uh, Nermala is in Perth as well. My chilli plants, and I don't think they're cold, I think that they're just hot, um, are about a metre high. I've bagged them to keep them out of the rain and the cold. It's been incredibly cold and wet here in the West, one of our coldest, wettest winters, very much like what my friends in Melbourne are going through at the same time. It presents new challenges, and by putting bags over the top, you're protecting them from the rain and the cold. There is another problem. When should I prune them so that they'll be nice and healthy in summer? Well, don't prune them until the weather conditions are warm and the days are a lot longer. So not, not really until probably mid-September, ideally, here in Perth. And then you'll get very quick recovery, growth and flower. But the bit about the bagging that I wanted to mention was you put the bag over the top and it does protect them from the rain and the cold, but it increases humidity. And that can be a real problematic thing for, for these types of plants. So you might suddenly see it start dying back or all the leaves go mouldy that's because it's not getting enough airflow. It's a real catch-22. Bags on just during the really cold weather. Um, if you're getting a real cold snap or you're getting really rainy conditions like we are today, then cover them up. But the rest of the time, keep the bag off. Ideally, if they're in pots, keep them in a nice, warm, sunny position up against a north-facing wall. Teller, one of my favourite friends. Thanks for joining us again, Teller. Hello. Uh, you planted two Queensland bottle trees. You're in the central tablelands of New South Wales. Um one is going great guns, but the other is very unhappy and sick. Now, it's green at the bottom, but rotting soft and brown at the top. That doesn't sound very good at all. What do I think is going on? I think that it's probably a drainage issue, is my gut feel, Teller, because these plants, um, they pretty much grow anywhere, and they have this amazing ability to store nutrient in the in the base, in the trunk, um, nutrient and moisture. And um, it would seem to me that if it's showing signs of rot at the top, it's an indication that the roots are not happy and healthy. And if that's the case, then what we're probably seeing at the moment is some kind of root rot getting in there. Now, that's generally a drainage issue, so it suggests that you've been getting a lot of rain. Um, that's the most likely scenario I would suggest. Um, I can't think of another solution for you. What would help me a lot, Teller, is if you took a photo, though. So maybe you could send something through to us as well. Marshy, g'day Marshy, you're in Wembley Downs, we know that all too well. Um, I've taken your advice and I've smothered the onion weed in my garden, but it seems to have worked in, and it seems to have worked in stopping the spread. How long before I remove the newspaper smothering? It's been three months. Well, to be quite honest, Marshy, the newspaper's going to break down, so I'd leave it down and just put mulch on top and it'll create a nice permeable barrier just for a period of time until those bulbs don't come back. It is the best way to control onion weed it's a it's a really difficult thing to treat you definitely don't want to be using um, chemicals and and as I think you've you've raised before you've tried using things like roundup and they're not effective on on onion weed um, the one thing that does seem to work is kerosene but then you're doing a lot of damage to the microbial life in your soil so a nice layer over the top with mulch um, uh, on top of newspaper I'd leave it let it do its thing let it break down mate thanks for joining us Diane's in Meadowbank in New South Wales. Hi, Diane. Thanks to the corn seed you won last week. Well done. Garden Express is selling the giant pineapple lily bulb. Would this flower this year have planted now? Generally, the the um, the pineapple lily bulb that they sell, they're usually of such a size that they will flower in the first year. 
My advice is when you get them, though, is to grow them in pots the first year before you put them into the garden and you'll get the best results, plus you can bring them in close to the house. One thing they do love is getting their roots up against the wall of a pot. It seems to encourage that flowering and and the flowers are bigger and better, so there's a little bit of advice there. Margaret is in Belgrave. Um, I've put water lilies into a wine barrel. It hasn't flowered. What am I doing wrong? Margaret, you're doing nothing wrong. Your water lilies should be resting at the moment. Um, so don't worry. Don't expect big things from them. Let them sit. They're, they're basically building up their storage. And as soon as the weather starts, as soon as the days get longer, they'll start producing flowers. And as soon as the water's warm enough, you'll see real growth with them as well. So that's the key. Um, Eurisha is in Melbourne. Hello, Eurisha. <clears throat> Excuse me. I propagated some fig cuttings and I was wondering when I should pot them again. Well, if you propagated them I and you should have roots starting to form on them, I would look at them probably being planted up in late September, early October in Melbourne and then put them into a really good potting mix again in pots and you'll get really good growth. They should take off pretty quickly at that point in time as they move into warmer conditions, which figs love. And our last but not least question for the day is from Liz in Sydney in New South Wales. Thanks so much for joining us. Liz, should my bare-rooted roses have shoots by now? They're playing dead. Are they playing dead or am I the impatient gardener? You are the impatient gardener, Liz. They should be should be dormant. They'll start producing some growth, but as a general comment, they should be dormant about now. So my advice is just be patient. If you were seeing die back on the stems, I would cut back those stems back to the green points, um, to a bud. Um, but at the, at the moment, by the sounds of it, they're just dormant. All your roses should be dormant. And one, one big tip for you this week is this weekend is the weekend to get out and prune your roses pretty much across all of cooler parts of Australia. So Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, definitely, probably Sydney if you've got roses, then this is the time to be giving them a prune. I hope this has helped out. You know what? It's a um, it's a difficult thing answering all your questions because we are in such a big country. We've got so much variety in what's going on. But you let us know where you're from. You give us photographs when you can. You're so good. And I hope that uh, I hope that this week is a good week, particularly for our friends in New South Wales who have some pretty significant challenges at the moment. Our hearts go out to you, and we're looking forward to seeing you back next week. Now, next week, Sue McDougall, I'm taking a couple of weeks leave. Sue McDougall's going to join us. Um, I think that uh, you'll love Sue. She's, she's just, as you've seen before, she's just a wealth of knowledge. Um, for those people who've won prizes, Michaela will be sending a message to you to let you know. Thank you so much for entering and participating in the show. Remember, if you want any information, jump onto our website. You can catch previous stories from the Garden Gurus or our YouTube channel has all the videos so you can watch programs You can watch individual stories. You can search it. You can also listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes by visiting Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Audible. As I said, Sue will be back next Monday, so make sure you tune in. It's uh, 10 a.m. Western Standard Time or 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Trevor Cochran. We'll see you again soon. Happy gardening. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times. I got my home, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go.